never remain free if they are not willing, if need be, to fight for their vital interests. In this present crisis, government is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem. Praise Yahweh and pass the ammunition. The Restoration Hour with Pastor Eli James. Trick or treat! Happy Halloween, everybody! (laughs) Are you prepared to... Let witches and goblins and demonic spirits into your house, not to mention sugar. (laughs) The the bad holidays are with us, again, starting with Halloween and uh, sugar. Well, bobbing for apples used to be a Halloween tradition, and I think it had something to do with uh, uh, finding a mate or a spouse. And uh, maybe one of these articles covers that. They're carving out uh, pumpkin faces and turning it into a jack-o'-lantern. We're going to cover the history of Halloween and the traditions, which of course are very pagan, and how the Catholic Church actually embraced Halloween, has has been embracing it uh, since the early days, and also the, the, uh, it's called All Hallows Eve, which started out as a Catholic holiday, and all saints... uh, I'll get into the article, and it'll explain all that. But it's just another one of those situations where the Catholic Church, the early Roman Church, integrated paganism with Catholicism, and it resulted in Halloween. Just like in Easter time, they have Lent, which is a month-long celebration of, uh, I guess you could call it witchcraft, <laughs> in, in the springtime, right? Just before Easter, where they have all kinds of pagan celebrations in New Orleans and in uh, Rio de Janeiro and other Catholic countries, right? So the Catholics are really involved in this kind of demon, uh, demon slash all saints ritual, ritualism. So let's get into it. Let's start with the pagan origins of Christian of uh, Christmas. Well, that too, right? <laughs> uh, of Halloween, and this entitled is this article is entitled "How the Early Catholic Church Christianized Halloween." What hasn't been Christianized? Satanism. We, we have. Satano Christianity. That's called Judea. That's another word for Judeo Christianity. Tell me to Christianity. Uh, how bizarre. But that's the state of affairs, folks, because the Christian world, especially the dumbed down Judeo Christians, do not realize that the Bible is being scoffed at, mocked, and ridiculed by these traditions, which are not at all Christian but have become, quote-unquote, Christianized by the fact, well, you even have churches, Judeo churches, allowing, allowing Wiccans and other weirdos to preach in their pulpits 
not to mention uh, lesbians and homosexuals and all kinds of weirdos that are now preaching from the pulpit. So, folks, how, how much crazier can this get? Well, it looks like it's going to get a little crazier because we're not at the end just yet. And uh, I just want to quickly announce also that on April 8th, 2024, that's going to be the second eclipse in the second in the seven-year sequence of eclipses. The first one was in 2017, which I attended with David Ewing, my good friend. But David Ewing is no longer with us, so I'm scheduling a trip to Macanda, Illinois, which is the intersection point of the two eclipses. And on April 20, on April 8th, 2024, that will be occurring on Passover during Passover week of the solar calendar. So I'm going to be celebrating that with with many other people, and that's not pagan folks. <laughs> that is that is the biblical Passover, and so. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it, and I'll be doing several presentations about the X marks the spot, the significance of those two eclipses. For example, in both eclipses, in both eclipse paths, seven cities named Salem ha- are in totality. Uh, they were in 2017, and seven other cities named Salem will be in totality on April 8, 2024. And to me, the symbolism is that even though the word Salem means peace, it comes from the Hebrew word shalom, I think it reflects the saying of Yahshua Messiah, where people declare peace, peace, and there is no peace, right? That's where we're at right now. Everybody's, oh, even in Gaza, right? Kill all those Palestinians, let them die. They're opposed to God's chosen people. I mean, how much have you heard? Is that that paganism? I think that's paganism too, folks. That's not biblical religion. Yahweh does not allow Israelites to just wantonly kill people because they get in their way. We're not allowed to do that, but the Jews aren't Israelites, so none of that matters over there. And we're here to enlighten the world that the Jews are not Israelites. Let's get back into, uh, I'm looking really looking forward to doing presentations on this subject and being in Macanda, Illinois uh, on April 8th, 2024. Okay, that's that's where the two eclipse lines intersect. And there's more to it than that, which uh, there's actually a, a lot going on uh, with these two eclipses. And I'll be doing many shows about that because it's getting, the time is getting close. We're almost there, actually. All right, so the, the subtitle here, after the Romans conquered ancient Celtic realms, sorry, realms, pagan traditions were adopted into a holiday honoring Catholic saints. And I haven't even had any sangria today. <laughs> okay. So anyway, it's a tongue twister. I'll just make that excuse. Here, let me have a bit of tea. To loose. It's a cold day. Another excuse. Just had a swig of tea. Okay. And I'm not sure if I put this link into the Telegram chat, so I'll copy this one real quick. 
because there are two articles I'll be referencing today. And so here it is also in Telegram. All right, so getting back to <laughs> this article. Halloween may be a secular affair today. No, not really. I don't consider it a secular affair. It's a, uh, a pagan ritual affair that was you know, copied by the Catholic Church for its own rituals. Okay, but today is dominated by candy, costumes, and trick-or-treating. But the holiday is rooted in an annual Celtic pagan festival called Samhain. It's spelled S-A-M-H-A-I-N, spelled S-A-M-H-A-I-N, but pronounced Samhain. I guess the M is silent. That was then appropriated by the early Catholic Church some 1,200 years ago. What haven't they appropriated? The ancient Celts were an assortment of tribes and small kingdoms once scattered across Western and Central Europe with distinctive languages and culture, explains Frederick Soupay, a historian specializing in Celtic and medieval history at Ball State University in Indiana. Now, I'm convinced that the these pagan customs actually have their origin in the Hebrew feast days. Okay, so because this is the ingathering of the, the pagans in uh, pagan Europe, okay, which is the same as the ingathering of the Feast of Tabernacles. That's also called the Feast of Ingathering. And so I'm sure that these, these cults were Israelites who were already pagan before they migrated into Europe and have maintained many of their pagan traditions ever since. But you see, a lot of these pagan holidays occur on Hebrew feast days as well. Okay, so let's continue. Even after the Romans conquered their realm, Celts continued to survive and thrive in places such as Brittany, Cornwall, Ireland, the Isle of Man, Scotland, and Wales. Of course, the the Celts were actually Israelites who escaped uh, from the Egyptian captivity before the Exodus, they migrated into Europe and uh, brought some Egyptian traditions as well, but not as much Hebrew tradition as the the the, the tribe of Pharez. Uh, so they're a tribe of Zerah that migrated across the Mediterranean into Europe before the Exodus, but the Pharez branch of Judah did not migrate into Europe. Well, there, there are several stages. But the main branch of Pharaohs migrated into Europe around 745 BC and later in, in several waves. Okay, and all of these Israelites were in fact pagans. The the with some now here we go. We, we're mixing biblical religion with pagan religion, just as the Catholic Church has done for all these millennia. Okay, so let's continue. Halloween inspired by Samhain. The Celtic festival that is the ancestor of Halloween was related to the Celts' way of looking at the world. Quote, All the Celtic peoples conceived of a fundamental dichotomy between light and dark, which we do have at the moment, <laughs> right? <laughs> Satan and Yahweh, with the former representing positive, lucky, fruitful values, and the latter representing negative, threatening, destructive values, Supay explains. Well, that's typical paganism. You know, the worship of uh, spirits, the worship of natural forces as spirits. Uh, there's re- really nothing new under the sun here. Uh, 
The Celtic year began at sundown at the end of the autumn harvest, continued through the darkness of winter and the early spring into the brightness of the summer growing season and concluded with the harvest. Two big, well, this is actually how the Jews, the Jews have their so-called administrative year that begins in the fall, although the Bible clearly says that the first day of the year is the spring equinox. The Celtic year began at sundown and blah, 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 continued through all the, the growing season and then coming back to the harvest again. Two big holidays divided their year. Beltane, which took place on April 30th, May 1st on our calendar. Again, you're, you're t- mimicking the, the Hebrew Passover. And Sawain, which occurred from October 31st to November 1st. And those are two days on the Catholic calendar. One's All Saints Days, one's All Souls Days. So, what's the difference? Well, maybe we'll find out. Sawain was the moment when the spiritual world became visible to humans and the gods enjoyed playing tricks on mortals. Well, they, they play tricks on us all day long and the Jews play tricks on us all day long as well. It was also a time when the spirits of the dead mingled with the living. Oh, boy. The Celts believed in gathering all their harvest by Sawain so that it would not be damaged by the evil or mischievous spirits who could return on the first evening of the dark half of the year, Sapay says. Token offerings of the harvest's food should be offered to the spirits to placate them. So this is where the candy comes. <laughs> well, they didn't have a lot of candy in those days, so maybe leftover food. Now, here's where it gets interesting. The Pope adopts Celtic traditions. And which one is it? Gregory, Pope Gregory I. The importance of pre-Christian customs to people's lives apparently wasn't lost upon the early Catholic Church. Pope Gregory I, also known as St. Gregory the Great, who headed the church from A.D. 590 to 604, advised a missionary going to England that instead of trying to do away with the religious customs of non-Christian peoples, They simply should convert them to a Christian religious purpose, that is, the holidays, whatever they're celebrating. For example, the site of a pagan temple could be converted to become a Christian church, Sape says. Again, here's the compromise between Catholicism and paganism rearing its ugly head again. In that fashion, Sawain, the cult's dark supernatural festival, eventually was converted and given a Christian context. Quote, the ancient Celts believed that all sorts of threatening spirits were out and about on Sawain, Sapay says. The early medieval Christian church believed in saints, Christians who were remarkable for their devout religious beliefs and lives. But saints also had a supernatural side, such as their involvement in miraculous occurrences, according to the Catholic Church. So the church mixed the traditions involving Celtic spirits and Catholic saints. In the 800s, the church designated November 1st as All Saints Day. Okay? Uh, you won't find that in the Bible, folks. <laughs> you won't find that as a feast day in the Bible, but it is It is a Catholic uh, celebration. There's no doubt about it. Okay? So we, we see that the, the pagan origins of the Catholic Church 
and uh, well, because we know that the Catholic Church, Catholic Church originated in the the rites of Semiramis way back when, such as the hot cross bonds and the Easter egg hunt and, that, and that's all that sort of thing. Okay, that originated in uh, in, in pagan days with Semiramis and and uh, Nimrod. But let's continue. The old beliefs associated with Sawain never died out entirely, folklorist Jack Santino wrote in a 1982 article for the American Folklife Center. Quote, the powerful symbolism of the traveling dead was too strong. (laughs) Oh, maybe those people were zombies. High on some concoction made by a witch. Voodoo. Voodoo in Ireland, and perhaps too basic to the human psyche to be to be satisfied with the new, more abstract Catholic feast honoring saints. Well, that that sounds very plausible, actually. Instead, the first night of Sawain, October 31st, became All Hallows Day evening. Okay, so All Hallows Day is November 1st, if I'm reading this correctly. Is there a difference between All Saints Day and All Hallows Day? Maybe we'll find out here. But anyway, All Hallows Day evening, the night before the saints were venerated. That name eventually morphed into Halloween, and it became the time when Christians could turn the supernatural symbolism and rituals of Sawain into spooky fun. Yeah, let's scare the hell out of each other. The Jack-O-Lantern. Trick-or-treating origins. One of the rituals adopted from the Celts was pumpkin carving, which held religious significance. Quote, the jack-o'-lantern custom consists of placing fire, which imitates the good magic of the sun, inside a hollowed-out vegetable, (laughs) like a pumpkin, representing the harvest, Supe says. It was done, quote, in hopes that the good magic will help to preserve the harvested food through the dark half of the year until the next growing season could replenish the community's food stocks. How about this canning your vegetables? <laughs> anyway, later in Ireland and Scotland, people developed a custom of using similarly carved vegetable lanterns to scare off the mythical character of Stingy Jack. Oh, I bet that's Jacob. I'll bet Stingy Jack is Jacob who doesn't allow this kind of drunken revelry. Let me, uh, that's a hyperlink here. Let me click on it. Who's who's Stingy Jack? I'll bet that's based on Jacob. I'll bet it is. This could be Esau versus Jacob here, folks. The legend of Stingy Jack. Stingy Jack, according to the story, Stingy Jack invited the devil to have a drink with him. That's not good. Who's the uh, black uh, guitarist who who uh, sold his soul to the devil uh, and wrote a bunch of songs and ultimately became hits as recorded by big rock and roll stars? You know, like, not Jesus. Is... <laughs> I'm sorry, my mind's all over the place tonight. Anyway, uh, Sweet Home Chicago. Uh, I can't remember the name of that, that, that black guitarist and songwriter 
but uh, he's the one who sold his soul to the devil and inspired other rock and rollers to sell their souls to the devil for fame and fortune, right? Anyway, Stingy Jack invited the devil to have a drink with him. True to his name, Stingy Jack didn't want to pay for his drink. So he convinced the devil to turn himself into a coin. <laughs> oh, I wish it were that easy to trick the devil. Turn himself into a coin that Jack could use to buy their drinks. Now, this sounds like a ripoff of the coin incident when Yahshua uh, miraculously created a coin to pay his taxes. It sounds like a ripoff of that story. Okay. Once the devil did so, Jack, you're not going to convince the devil <laughs> for a coin. That coin better be worth a billion bucks. Once the devil did so, Jack decided to keep the money and put Ages it into his ago, pocket. Oops. Was Hold on. And winters were... Once the devil did so, Jack decided to keep the money and put it in his pocket next to a silver cross. Oh! Which prevented the devil from changing back into his original form. Okay, I like that. Would it, would that it were so easy to, uh, you know, neutralize the devil's influence just wearing a silver cross? Let me. This is this is fascinating. Let me continue with this. Jack eventually freed the devil under the condition that he would not bother Jack for one year, and that should Jack die, he would not claim his soul. The next year, Jack again tricked the devil into climbing into a tree to pick a piece of fruit. Oh, this comes from the Garden of Eden, no doubt. While he was up in the tree, Jack carved the sign of the cross into the tree's bark so that the devil could not come down until the devil promised Jack not to bother him for ten more years, okay? Well, how about not bothering us forever, Soon after Jack died, as the legend goes, God would not allow such an unsavory figure into heaven. The devil, upset by the trick Jack had played on him and keeping his word not to claim his soul, would not allow Jack into hell. Oh, no. Yeah, I was right. He is a zombie. He's between heaven and hell. He sent Jack off into the dark night with only a burning coal to light his way. Jack put the coal into a carved-out turnip and has been roaming the earth with it ever since. The Irish began to refer to this ghostly figure as Jack of the Lantern, and then simply Jack O'Lantern. Okay, so that's where that that, that story comes from. Now, similarly, back to the original article. Similarly, the practice of trick-or-treating originates in the Celtic custom of giving token bits of the harvest to spirits wandering outside of houses on the evening of Samain, or sorry, Sawain, to placate them and prevent them from doing destructive things to the harvest or to home. So, essentially, the trick-or-treating ritual is an attempt to placate evil spirits. Okay? And, uh, and now they just added sugar. <laughs> Once Christianity became established in the Celtic regions, young unmarried men would parade around on Halloween going to houses and calling for gifts to the spirits. Okay. Quote, this was a time when the, when the hard work of the harvest was done so they could indulge in some pranks to let off steam, Sopay says. 
In Scotland, the groups of young men were called geysers or geezers, spelled geysers, but pronounced geezers. You old geezer, you, because they wore disguises. The beginning of the custom of wearing Halloween costumes. Centuries later, so we're all a bunch of old geezers, are we? Centuries later, Halloween customs were brought to the United States by immigrants from Ireland, Scotland, and other ancient homelands of the Celts. As an 1894 article in Christian Work describes the holiday, quote, Halloween is a night when witches, evil spirits, and all mischief-brewing sprites went forth on a dark and mysterious midnight revels, okay? Which kind of happens every day now in pagan America. All right. And so the author of this article is Patrick J. Kiger. And uh, this is, well, the History Channel. So let me jump from that one to the other article I had queued up. Uh, Sawain, is Halloween a pagan holiday? The story of its ancient roots. Well, of course it is a pagan holiday. Uh, Well, you could also call it a Catholic holiday because they have integrated yet another pagan uh, ritual with their Catholic rituals. That's what the Catholic Church is famous for doing. But, but, but But most Catholics have no idea that the Catholic Church integrated all of this, you know, paganism into the church rituals. They have no idea about these things. So let's continue. Okay. Let me get the correct... uh, Okay, so let's... uh, Oh, there's a... I don't know if that's a zodiac. No, it's only... It's a 10-wheel circle. I guess... This 10-wheel... Oh, okay, so the 10-wheel circle is 10 different pagan holidays. Uh, around the year, okay, and so Samhain is on 30, October 31st, and Beltane is 30 April, and then there's eight other, eight other pagan holidays in that circle, many of which I've never heard of. Okay, so the question is, is Halloween a pagan holiday? The author says no, <laughs> although Halloween has its roots in Samhain, an ancient pagan festival and shares some similarities, they are not the same. Modern-day pagans around the world still celebrate Samhain. They gather each year on October 31st to observe its rituals and traditions. But as we just found out, the Halloween traditions are based on these pagan pagan holidays, no doubt about that. Okay, but then he goes into Halloween's pagan origin. Halloween, as the world knows it, owes a debt to the Celtic culture in Ireland, Britain, and Northern Europe. The more frightening symbols of Halloween have their roots in Samhain, a pagan festival that honors the dead. Now, I wonder, now, this brings up the Catholic tradition of selling indulgences. So, if you if you can get your dead relatives out of purgatory by donating money to the Catholic Church, uh, isn't that a... a isn't that really a pagan ritual? There's nothing in Scripture about that. And Martin Luther based his antagonism to the Catholic Church on that principle of selling indulgences. He thought that was really evil. 
And it is, because it's just the way of soaking Catholics from their hard-earned money, right? That's why they didn't have to practice usury. They were getting all of these, you know, they were convincing the Catholics of the day that uh, if you want to get your dead relatives out of uh, purgatory or the underworld uh, jail, then just uh, donate money to the Catholic Church and you'll be good, right? So again, what happens? When they get out of uh, hell, do they come up and fraternize with the living? Not sure what uh, what else is entailed by selling indulgences. Uh, I haven't done a detailed study of that. But in any case, so the more frightening symbols of Halloween have their roots in Samhain, a pagan festival that honors dead. Uh, it's a, Samhain is a Gaelic word that means summer's end. Samhain was the end of the year for the Celts. Harvest was over, and the coldest, darkest, and most frightening part of their new year was beginning. Well, I guess it was dangerous times. Winter in Europe could be very dangerous and difficult for a lot of people freezing to death. Now, okay, so the above wheel is called the Wheel of the Year. The Wheel of the Year represents the eight pagan holidays that celebrate life's seasons and cycles. On this ever-turning wheel, Sawain... A cross-quarter day, what does that mean? A cross-quarter day. Maybe it's a reference to the wheel. Falls halfway between the summer equinox and the winter solstice. Uh, I guess that's all it means. It forms a T-shape with the summer equinox and the winter, winter, which we would call uh, the... uh, the fall, the, the the fall, the fall equinox, on uh, on the Georgian calendar, Samhain occurs from October 31st to November 1st. Of course, the Celts lived in agricultural communities, and their lives were tied to nature's cycles. So, well, so is the so is the Hebrew calendar, <laughs> but we have different feast days, don't we not? So, Samhain was most likely celebrated when the last harvest came in. No matter the date, ancient Samhain celebrations lasted for days, if not the entire month. Well, here again, there's another, uh, the fall Feast of Tabernacles lasted eight days. So did the fall feast of uh, the the beginning of of fall, Feast of Trumpets. And then there there was Feast of, uh, sorry, the... uh, the day, uh, the day of repentance, the day of atonement in between those two feast days. So you got a good, almost a month-long uh, you know, celebration of the Hebrew calendar. So you can see that all of these traditions are definitely, they definitely originated with a vague memory and sometimes not so vague memory of these Celts who are in fact Israelites. Okay, so let's continue. So, home hearth fires were left to burn out while villagers joined with Druid priests to light a community fire using a wheel representing the sun to cause friction and spark flames. The fire needed to be started with friction because it was believed that such a force fire would ward off bewitching and terrifying plagues. Uh, I don't see any connection to scriptural holidays there. (laughs) 
sacrifices were made and everyone took a flame from the sacred bonfire back to their home to relight their hearth. Now, depending on how far you're away, you away, that light may have gone out. And it was probably a, a tedious uh, job to relight that fire. Anyway, Festival of the Dead. A belief arose that Sawain was also a time when the spirits of one's dead ancestors had easy access to the world and that the souls of the dead roamed the villages and streets. I really do see a connection here with selling indulgences, folks. I wonder when the, the tradition of selling indulgences began. I'll bet that these two are related. Okay, let's continue. Home doors were left open in hopes that the spirits of loved ones might join them around their hearths. Still, not all spirits were thought to be friendly. Gifts and treats were left out to pacify these evil spirits. You know what happens when you try to pacify an evil spirit? They just want more. In hopes that the following year's crops would be plentiful. Okay, that's definitely not relying on Yahweh. Folklore and Myths Many Celtic folk stories are set during Samhain. These stories involve death and other macabre and dangerous happenings. Due to these eerie tales, supernatural forces became associated with the festival. Fairies and Sids S-I-D-H-S Now that has to be a Sanskrit word coming from the Sanskrit Siddha. And I think it just means spirit. It could mean demon. For instance, Sids, for example, were said to be especially active during Sawain. The Celts believed if they dressed as animals and monsters, fairies would not be tempted to kidnap them. Some specific Halloween monsters have been associated with the mythology surrounding Sawain. Okay, now you dress up like a dog. <laughs> Or a witch, or you know whatever suits your taste, and uh, you know it's getting more and more bizarre. And uh, I, I'm not saying that all these people who celebrate Halloween have evil intent, but it uh, it's a total waste of time for me. From my perspective, it's a total waste of time. They just have these old witchy traditions with, with added sugar. Okay, so here are some of the Shape-shifting monsters. One, a shape-shifting creature named Puka creates mayhem and is known to be a prankster. The banshee was a weeping woman that brought death. A headless woman dressed in white called Lady Gwyn, accompanied by a black pig, (laughs) chases nighttime wanderers. The Dullahan, who appeared as a headless man, carrying, oh, who appeared as headless men, carrying their heads and riding flame-eyed horses. <laughs> that sounds like for, it's coming from the book of Revelation. Was a death omen to anyone who encountered them. Oh, scary. The fairy host was a group of hunters who haunted Sawain and kidnapped people. They were probably just, uh, what do you call, renegades who uh, exploited the, the celebration uh, and the drunken revelry to kidnap people while they were drunk and fell on their face. The Slough, or the Sluag, S-L-U-A-G-H, the Sluag 
came from the West and entered homes to steal souls, okay? Well, now they give you a jab which steals your soul. Renaming Sawain. Many Celtic traditions were incorporated into Christianity, and Sawain was among the most popular. Since the Celts honored their dead relatives on Sawain, the Catholic Church decided to make November 1st All Saints Day and November 2nd All Souls Day. In time, the night before All Saints Day, October 31st, was given a Christian name. It became All Hallows' Eve, the classic Christian name for what is known now as Halloween. Modern Halloween. Like Sawain, Halloween is filled with tales of ghosts, goblins, symbols of death, and costumes. Still, to be very clear, Halloween is not a pagan holiday. Well, I must disagree with that. The, all the pagans that get involved in Halloween is still celebrated as a pagan holiday, as, as we've been saying. The, the fact that a lot of people don't consider it to be a pagan holiday is just a, a night to get dressed up in uh, creepy costumes, right? And I- imitating uh, the, what is, what's that uh, figure, the... Uh, the, the Grim Reaper, right? The Grim Reaper and skeletons running around, etc., etc. How's that not pagan? He says, it's not the same as the Celtic Sowing Festival or any other harvest or religious celebration. Well, it's based on it. It's uh, to- totally based on it. Just as the name Halloween has evolved, so have holidays held at harvest time. Halloween is a secular holiday filled with candy, costumes, trick-or-treating parties, merriment, and mischief, and Halloween celebrations are growing around the world. And that's that's not a good thing, folks, because it's definitely not Christian. It's definitely not biblical. It's just uh, another way for the secular world, which is, is run by the Jews, to infringe in our lifestyles. And so now we're participating in all of these ridiculous, ridiculous rituals. And of course, as we just found out, the Catholic Church has been uh, in large part responsible for this. Okay. All right. So, one more article here. And this is entitled Shocking Exposure of charismatic witchcraft in the church. And so, as I said, I began the show by talking about the fact that Wiccans are allowed to preach in Judeo-Christian pulpits and all kinds of and voodoo and uh, rabbis and homosexuals, all kinds of anything that's anti-Christian has been allowed to preach in the Judeo-Christian pulpit these days. Okay? And with that includes, of course, Witches, witches and warlocks. The author says, When I was born again, <laughs> I didn't know there was such a thing as charismatic witchcraft. Well, who knows what's going on in the churches these days. I thought all Christians were operating out of the same spirit, the Holy Spirit. I th- Well, <laughs> right, no, no. The, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. There's hardly any truth in the Judeo-Christian churches. She continues, I thought we were all on the same team. I thought blind loyalty and submission were the sign of a true disciple because that is what I was taught in the Jezebelic church in which I landed. Yeah, the spirit of Jezebel. Halloween. 
I spent eight years under the cloud of charismatic witchcraft, intimidation, and control. Now I'm warning the church against it. Okay, well, the fact that the, most of these churches no longer believe that the law is in effect makes them automatic lawbreakers. Charismatic witchcraft was around long before anyone used those terms to describe it. Yes, there's witchcraft in the church. Yes, Christians are practicing charismatic witchcraft. If you ask, well, I think you could uh, say gospel music is part of that operation, so-called gospel music. If you ask 10 different people for a solid definition of charismatic witchcraft, you'll probably get 10 slightly different answers. Let's use the definition of witchcraft as a baseline. The best definition I found comes from the from the late Derek Prince. In his classic book, They Shall Expel Demons. Well, where do the demons go when they expel them? Well, the, the demons that Yahshua expelled from Legion, or from the person who had all these demons, he expelled it, and they went into the bodies of the swine, and the swine ran down the hill and drowned themselves rather than be possessed by these demons. Unfortunately, humans seem to have a a, a, a warmer, wetter home for these demons, and we don't immediately reject them. I guess it's like your first shot of whiskey. It hurts, and it's sort of sort of neat, right? And then you get drunk later on. Say, whoa. Yeah, that's what happens when you get drunk, okay, when you drink. The deliverance minister and spiritual warfare expert pointed to an unnamed dictionary's definition of witchcraft. Quote, the art or exercise of magical powers, the effect or influence of magical powers, or an alluring or seductive charm or influence. Now, I don't believe for a minute that the vast majority of witches the vast majority of witches and warlocks actually have any magical powers. But there are some, (laughs) there are some who are the real deal and can invoke evil spirits. And these are the ones who devote their lives to, you know, invoking evil spirits, okay? Yeah, okay, Uh, Seven of None says, we used to sing, quote, for all the saints for who from their labors rest, etc., on or about All Saints Day. Well, how do, how do the church know that they're resting from their labors by on that day? How do they know that? You know, it, it's just a, a fake a fake religious holiday. Th- thank you, Seven of them, for that. Now, I grew up Catholic. Now, I don't remember singing that song, but I remember All Saints Day and All, you know, uh, All Souls Day. You know, we're a regular thing in the Catholic Church. But I never paid much attention to it, you know, because it was Halloween, right? <laughs> so anyway, and I never really cared for Halloween either. I didn't like going around, you know, collecting candy and nickels and dimes, you know. It was, uh, and, and very often, being in Chicago, it was very, very often very cold, Halloween is usually the sign of the first winter snow. And so it's not a lot of fun running around on a cold night in a, a silly outfit. Anyway, I don't think I ever wore it. I may have worn a mask when I was a kid, but I don't think I even did that much. Okay, so anyway. Have you ever heard someone say, quote, he's got a magical smile? 
That's another way of saying he's got charisma. Charisma is a, quote, a personal magic of leadership arousing special popular loyalty or enthusiasm. Yeah, like Joel Osteen, (laughs) David Jeremiah, who's a Jew, by the way. And uh, uh, all of these so-called, well, I, I like to refer to them as pastor personality. They're up there to, you know, make make uh, entertainment for Christians sitting in the pews and not really teaching the Bible at all. That's modern Christianity for you. According to Merriam-Webster's Dictionary and a special magnetic charm or appeal. Well, that's, you know, that's a lot of pastors have that personal charm and that's what they rely on to keep the flock coming back but they do not rely on biblical truth. That's why many of these churches are just falling apart. In considering both definitions and the personal experiences I've had with being the target of charismatic witchcraft, this is my definition. I'm curious to find out what what actually happened to her. Charismatic witchcraft is exerting ungodly influence through carnal powers of charisma to seduce someone to think or act according to your will. Well, a lot of pastors do that and to seduce the females in their in their flock. How many times have you heard that? Charismatic witchcraft begins as a work of the flesh, but left to run its course, this fleshly behavior attracts demon powers. These demon powers work through an individual to manipulate, intimidate, control, and ultimately dominate believers in order to bend their will toward their viewpoint. Charismatic witchcraft is released through tactics such as fear, prophetic flattery, and witchcraft prayers. Well, which ones are those? Uh, Charismatic witchcraft practitioners seek their own gain. Well, a lot of a lot of pastors just seek their own gain. Use sincere people who want to serve God to build their own kingdom. Kingdom that happens to that happened to Eve and is still happening to Israelites today. And otherwise, use and abuse people for their own purposes. Well, she began by saying, "I expected to find holy people when I went to this church, and I found a people who were doing really strange stuff." Anyway. The shepherding movement, also known as the discipleship movement, may be the most recognizable memory of charismatic witchcraft that spread like wildfire during the charismatic movement in the 1970s. In fact, the practice is called charismatic witchcraft because of its rise during this important refreshing. Ironically, Derek Prince was one of the leaders of the movement. God redeemed the experience and gave him revelation on the evil of these practices. Well, if it's not in the Bible, why are you calling yourself a church or a congregation? Like uh, preaching homosexuality, uh, a 501c3 corporation. If it's not in the Bible, why are you teaching it? Although the motive for launching the movement was pure, okay, As most people's intentions are good, but the road to hell is paved with good intentions, as we all know. The shepherding movement quickly deteriorated into cult-like environment in which people could not make personal life decisions, including marriage, house moves, and career choices without their shepherd's permission. Well, okay, so now there's a lot of churches like that, you know, that, uh, you know, uh, E-S-T-S-T. 
That's another movement like that. Uh, Jim Jones had a movement like that. And there, there's many, many others. What's that Hollywood cult that uh, it's, they do that? They, they take over your life. You have to donate all your all your money to the church and live in a commune with them. And who knows what's going to happen to you there. Okay. And you can't make any choices without the shepherd's permission. I've known folks who have nervously disappeared into their pastor's office to ask permission to marry another congregant, hoping that their request wasn't denied and that their love wasn't dashed. And this wasn't during the shepherding movement. This was recent. Yeah, this is this could be a Judeo-Christian pastor. Today, this type of charismatic witchcraft manifests as spiritual leaders recruiting volunteers to build their ministries while neglecting to minister to the real needs of the hurting people. Yeah, okay. So a, a selfish pastor. I wouldn't call that witchcraft. This is not a new practice. You can find instances in the Bible of spiritual leaders exploiting people to build their kingdoms. In Jeremiah 8, Yahweh called out the abuse of prophets and priests saying, quote, They dressed the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Unquote. The root problems of people in the church were treated superficially. Oh, man. Modern Christianity is superficiality. <laughs> in embodied. Superficiality embodied. The feel-good. It's a feel-good movement, isn't it? Superficiality embodied. That's what... Okay, seven. That's, that is the Lutheran church, Okay. We sent our daughters to the Lutheran church to avoid uh, sending them to a public school, but the Lutheran church was just as bad as the public school as it turned out. They had they had homosexuals, not as priests yet, uh, but as congregants. This is the Lutheran church. And, of course, the same thing happened in the Catholic church. So, yeah, well, if they're, if they're allowing that sort of thing, you could call that witchcraft. Anything that opposes the Bible could be called witchcraft. So she's got a very general definition of witchcraft here. Charismatic controllers tend to hide behind the guise of spiritual coverings. It takes lovers of truth with spiritual discernment to recognize the sometimes subtle signs of charismatic witchcraft. And it takes courage to confront it. Oh, yeah, they might kill you. Uh, That that, uh, movement in California... uh, uh, many actors are involved, and and a lot of these actors and actresses. Uh, Madonna became a Talmudist. That's witchcraft. The Talmud is witchcraft, folks. She continues. It may surprise you to learn that what the world, or even what the Wiccans call witchcraft, is not always one and the same as what the Bible calls witchcraft. For example, when you think of witchcraft, you probably think of black magic or conjuring up the dead. Those abominations are covered in the Bible, but that's not the fullness of witchcraft as God teaches us in the Word. There are two types of witchcraft mentioned in the Bible, witchcraft as a work of the flesh and spiritual witchcraft. But the work of the flesh can open you up to demonic powers that reinforce carnal behaviors, and that's definitely what goes on during Halloween. The good old-fashioned Halloween party where uh, the women are encouraged to wear next to nothing at the Halloween party, right? And then, oh, it reminds me of uh, France. You know, the uh, the upper crust of France in the days of Louis the Fourteenth through the Sixteenth, 
where you put on a mask so you, you have a, a, an orgy and you don't know who you're orgying with, okay? That's what the mask was all about in those days. And that's what it is all about you know, with the Illuminati, with the Freemasons. That's what it's all about. So you can hide your identity. And it says, what are the works of the flesh? Galatians 5, 19 through 21, list them. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Now that's Paul. Do you think he teaches antinomianism? You you haven't read Paul if you believe that. Now it's interesting, gaslighting. Gaslighting under this definition could easily be described as witchcraft because you're working on someone's mind to fool that person into believing a falsehood or to just drive that person crazy, right? That's gaslighting. Notice that witchcraft is a listed right alongside adultery. Oh, listed right alongside adultery and fornication. Witchcraft is a serious offense in any manifestation. As a work of the flesh, witchcraft violates the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. The flesh opposes the move of the spirit and resists all things spiritual. This is a serious struggle because Paul assures us that those who practice witchcraft will not inherit the kingdom of God. See Galatians 5.21. So, but yeah, obviously most people who go around trick-or-treating aren't practicing witchcraft, but, uh, you know, the... Uh, the drunken revelry and, uh, you know, the uh, you know, watching the movies of, uh, you know, Halloween and, you know, considering, you know, cutting people into pieces as entertainment. Yeah, I mean, that's silly. It's stupid and silly. And I think it leads to, uh, what's the term uh, for uh, you know, when you view uh, violence for too long? And you become inured to it, and it no longer, it no longer makes you feel disgusted about it, right? And so, you know, I saw real violence and uh, blood and guts in Vietnam, and I, I saw enough of it there. I have no intention of going to a slasher movie to see any more. Okay, but that's what it does. It, it deadens the, the spirit toward that type of thing, and uh, you, you sh- I don't consider that entertainment. Some people do. Now, some people go to the movie to get scared, but uh, you know, that doesn't entertain me either. <laughs> anyway, how do you discern if you are walking in the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When you walk in the Spirit, this fruit manifests. That's the same way you discern if someone else is walking in the Spirit. If you know you are disobeying God in an area... Repent of the sin which God views in the same way as witchcraft and get back in line with the spirit. Okay, so she generalizes the term witchcraft, and uh, you know, which a lot of us wouldn't consider witchcraft, but you know, it can become witchcraft. There's no doubt about it. But she makes a good point here, rooting out rebellion. I'll conclude with this uh, section here. Practicing witchcraft is a serious sin, and far more Christians are experts at sorcery than you may realize. Yeah, just about all the Judeo pastors are. 
Remember when King Saul was ordered to utterly destroy the Amalekites and everything they had, man, woman, infant, suckling, ox, and sheep, camel, and donkey? Saul found victory in battle against Israel's enemy by the grace of God, but failed to obey the voice of God, Yahweh, when the dust settled. He spared Agag, the king of the Amalekites, and kept the best of the livestock. See 1 Samuel 15, 1-9. Saul proposed that his intention was to sacrifice the animals to Yahweh, but there's no excuse for disobedience. Saul was so stubborn that he at first refused to admit his disobedience. He actually justified his actions. Only after Samuel rebuked Saul did he catch the revelation that obedience is better than sacrifice. Okay? 1 Samuel 15:22. Well, maybe the Jews will eventually realize that because they want to rebuild or build a third temple, not rebuild it because there was no prophecy and the, the second temple will not be rebuilt. That uh, they don't obey Yahweh's laws and they will be in defiance of the last sacrifice, namely Yahshua Messiah, if and when they ever build that, that so-called third temple. Continuing, in that rebuke and in Saul's response, we find one way Christians are practicing a sin that's in the realm of witchcraft, through rebellion that arises when the fear of man is greater than the fear of Yahweh. Let's listen in on the exchange. Okay, here's 1 Samuel 15, 23-24. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of Yahweh, he hath also rejected thee from being king. And Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed transgressed the commandment of Yahweh and thy words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Oh, he obeyed the people. Were they out there celebrating Halloween? Which people? Oh, I guess maybe he saw some Israelites grabbing the belongings of the Amalekites for themselves. And he said, okay, well, let, let them have fun. Uh, I, I won't obey Yahweh's command to obliterate everything and destroy everything. Let them have fun. So that's probably what Saul did. So, folks, the lesson is obey Yahweh's laws because it's going to get you into witchcraft one way or another. Uh, if you're, you're tricking people, deceiving people. Well, that, that's That's definitely a form of witchcraft. So... Anyway, happy Halloween, everybody. Trick or treat. And remember, there might be a demon knocking at your door on Halloween night. Okay, take care, everybody. Yahweh bless. Pass the ammunition. And don't fall into these pagan rituals. Amen. Bye-bye. Never remain free if they are not willing, if need be, to fight for their vital interests. In this present crisis, government is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem. Praise Yahweh and pass the ammunition. The Restoration Hour with Pastor Eli James.